We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Chicago Bears select... Welcome to Picks for Pace, presented by The Bear Report, your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usaid Koshal. Welcome to Picks for Pace, a Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report. My name is Andrew Friedman, and of course, I'm happy to be joined by my co-host, Usaid Koshal. And Usaid, we are recording this episode on Tuesday, April 13th. You know, the draft is coming so quick here. Uh, I think we have like two to maybe two and a half weeks left before the draft officially kicks off. You know, news-wise across the NFL, it's been pretty slow so far, but you know, with everything going on now, but how are you doing today, man? And, you know, what are you looking forward to here in these next couple of weeks before uh, we really get into the draft here? I'm doing well, man. Just honestly looking forward to teams kind of putting the finishing touches on all their prospect evaluations. And one of the big evaluations that's actually coming up tomorrow on Wednesday, April 14th is the Second pro day for Ohio State quarterback, Justin Fields. And we know that there's a team in the top four, the Atlanta Falcons, that while they have Matt Ryan under contract, they're actually going to be at Justin Fields' pro day. So this is the first time in a while that we could see four quarterbacks go in the top four. Yeah, that would be such an exciting development, I think, because you really look at this draft here now. With the 49ers trading up the three, with the Jets trading Dalton, uh, Sam Darnold basically making it known that they are going to be drafting a quarterback, just a matter of which one. 
And we know the Jaguars will be drafting Trevor Lawrence. They've already sent Trevor Lawrence their playbook um, and telling them to master that, which it's kind of similar to Joe Burrow last year. The Bengals sent uh, him their pr- playbook in preparation of the season before the draft, basically saying that, you know, we're going to draft you. It doesn't really matter here. So we were assuming that the draft order is going to go Trevor Lawrence at one, Zach Wilson at two. We keep on hearing these rumors that the 49ers are interested in Mac Jones. I just, I personally don't buy it yet still, but at four here at the Atlanta Falcons, it does get interesting here because you look at it, you know, the Falcons, like you said, Matt Ryan's under contract and you broke down his contracts in the past year in some of our podcast episodes. You know, I believe, what is it, like a $40 million dead cap next year or something like that to move on from Matt Ryan? So I mean, they're stuck with him contract-wise for a few more years here. So if you're drafting a guy at the number four spot, you're probably projecting it to be a project quarterback here. So a Trey Lance or Justin Fields wouldn't make sense if you want to draft them and then, you know, sit them and develop them for a few years there. Um, but it's interesting because that also could be a play by the Falcons to drive their price up because if they're not going quarterback, it makes little sense to me personally to stay there at number four because they have a lot of needs, you know, on, especially on the defensive side of the ball. They have a lot of needs there. Uh, they can still add some more weapons to help out Matt Ryan, you know, add to that offensive line a little bit. You know, the Falcons have a lot of needs here. They kind of have an old, expensive roster, kind of up against the cap, similar to the Bears here. Um, so, you know, you look at the Falcons there, they have a lot of options there. Really, the draft starts at three to me with who the 49ers pick, but it really starts to get interesting with uh, the Falcons at four and what they're going to be doing there with that pick. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because that fourth overall pick is probably the hottest commodity right now within the top 10 or just in the first round in general because you realize that so we know the Jags, the Jets, they're taking a quarterback, all right? There's been talk about who are the 49ers going to pick. We all know it's going to be a quarterback. So we're going to have quarterbacks go one, two, and three. But then that fourth overall pick is really a hot commodity because let's just say the 49ers take Mac Jones. Now you're going to have a handful of teams that are on the phone with Atlanta at four talking about we can get our hands on Justin Fields or Trey Lance, all right? But then the Falcons, they're going to get a King's Ransom if they trade out of that pick. But then they also can kind of just go and say, you know what, we realize we have what? Matt Ryan under contract for two more years. The reality is we only want him here for two more years. We could use a guy like Trey Lance for the future because Harry Fontenot, the general manager, as well as Arthur Smith, the GM, we have to understand that they're not on this like two or three year type thing with the Falcons. All right. I mean, the Falcons ownership brought these guys in to kind of help them rebuild the roster in the long run. And plus I saw another report where it's like, Falcons owner Arthur Blank, he's not interested in rebuilding with a young quarterback anytime soon. So really that fourth overall pick's just a super hot commodity. And I think that even though Fontenot and Smith are going to be at Fields Pro Day tomorrow, Fields second Pro Day, I should say, I don't think that it really means much if they're not seriously looking into quarterbacks. Because right now Atlanta's just drawing so many mixed reactions regarding what they're going to do. Well, it's all about doing your due diligence and, you know, making that presence known that uh, to other NFL teams that, hey, this is a possibility. We may like these quarterbacks here. So if you're going to, you know, trade up to get these guys, just let you know that's going to be expensive for you, I think is what they're trying to kind of posture there. It's kind of interesting, though, because you talk about the GM uh, for the Falcons there. Um, this is something you mentioned on Twitter, I believe, a, a few days ago, or like a week ago or something like that. 
uh, Ryan Pace and Fontenot with the Falcons, they work together in New Orleans with the Saints. Um, kind of go over that because that could be an interesting thing here as this thing kind of plays out here because it's possible that with the Bears, you know, Ryan Pace having that relationship there, that that could potentially be a gateway to a deal being made for the Bears. But again, it's going to be tough, though, with everything considered here and all the needs that the Bears have and what the cost is going to be. Well, we know that Ryan Pace is a guy that just has not been afraid to swing big in the past, right? And then earlier in his one of his press conferences this offseason, he kind of talked about, hey, listen, you create specific relationships with guys throughout the league. And he referenced Reggie McKenzie and John Gruden as a way of saying, well, our relationship with them is a reason that we pulled off the trade for Khalil Mack. And so really Pace and Fontenot working together for nearly a decade in the New Orleans front office, I think that that's going to be a major factor here because Pace kind of mentioned when the Bears traded for Khalil Mack, they, they went so far back as to look at scouting reports from his days in New Orleans, which just means that Pace is the type of GM. All right, yeah, he hasn't gotten quarterback right in the past, but he's going to do as much research as he can, and he's going to rely on past colleagues and what guys around the college ranks and just guys in general are saying throughout the NFL industry. So really, Pace and Fontenot kind of having that prior connection, I think people don't realize is a major Hard here that the Bears have that a lot of other teams don't have right now when we are discussing the possibility of Chicago trading up from 20 to 4 with Atlanta. Yeah, it would certainly be something interesting to monitor here as the weeks progress. It's 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 gonna be wild here, I think, the next few weeks because it is misinformation uh, season here in the NFL. You know, a lot of teams are gonna be sending things out to the media to try to throw people off here and what their intentions are. And it's just important, I think, for anybody following these things to kind of take everything with a grain of salt here in terms of what team's intentions are because they don't want to they don't want to tip their hands too early here uh, before the draft they don't want to make it easy for other teams to kind of know what they're doing so uh have to keep everything in mind when it comes to this here other than that you know it's really been a slow month so far for the bears news wise it's pretty apparent that all their focus is on the draft rather than free agency at this point so any other moves they make to the roster, it's going to be coming after the draft, I would assume, at this point. So that's something to keep in mind here with the Bears going forward here. So it really leaves us in a situation to where it's just waiting for the draft. And, man, I just can't wait for that to come around. Uh, speaking of the draft, we are continuing our position previews for the 2021 NFL draft by going over today the wide receiver position. So that is the main topic for today's episode. We're going to be getting to our top five wide receivers in this class, sleepers, overhyped prospects, and what we think the Bears should be doing at the position to address the position. Because look at this thing here, the Bears, they do have a need at wide receiver. They need to add some more weaponry to this offense, especially if you want to either, A, build around a young quarterback that you take in this draft, or B, try to help out Andy Dalton this year because Andy Dalton's a guy that needs weapons. So uh, we're going to be getting to that real quick here. First, we're going to take our first break of the show and take a step away and then get to our top five wide receivers. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. 
Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back here at Picks for Pace going over our top five wide receivers in the 2021 NFL Draft. You said, I'll start off with you. Who are your top five wide receivers? Because I feel like everyone has a very similar top four. Uh, maybe there's some differences in the order for some people, but uh, that fifth guy is pretty interesting. I, I'm kind of curious to see who you have at that fifth spot. My number one guy is Devontae Smith from Alabama. When you look at him, I think that he is the best playmaker in this class. He's listed at 6'1", 175, 180, right around there. So at a first glance, you would think, well, he's just a typical slot receiver. But he proved that in 2020, he could play all over the field. And he's a great route runner as well. So he's really a big play prospect that's going to thrive at the next level. Number two, I've got a guy who opted out of the 2020 season due to COVID concerns. Is a really great route runner, another dynamic playmaker. And his 2019 season was, was off the charts, and that's Jamar Chase. Really, Chase got in 2020 that he was just getting started as a top wide receiver prospect. And I think that had Chase not opted out in 2020, we would have probably seen him be the surefire, clear-cut number one wide receiver prospect. Number three, I have another Alabama guy, which is Jalen Waddle. All right, so Waddle's final season in Alabama – ended early due to a lower body injury, but he appears to be fully healthy. He is, I mean, out of this world in terms of just how he plays. He's a deep threat, all right, can play all over the field. He forces defenders to miss. Really kind of like a Swiss Army knife that is going to make you pay no matter what you throw at him. And then number four, I have Rondell Moore from Purdue. Another guy that is you know, a bit undersized, like 5'9", 5'10", about 180 pounds, but great playmaker, multi-purpose weapon. I think that when we look at Rondell Moore, right, he is just so electric when it comes to yards after the catch. Now, the big red flag for Rondell Moore is how is he going to hold up at the next level, especially because he has had some injury histories throughout his time at Purdue. And then last but not least, I have Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Bateman's just really interesting for me because he's a great route runner, has excellent ball skills, and he's really one of the toughest wide receivers that I've seen in this class. So ultimately, when I look at all these guys, right, I think that they're all going to be number one receivers wherever they go at the next level. But really for me, Devontae Smith is head and shoulders better than any other wide receiver in this class. Interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I have a little bit of a different list here. Um, for number one for me, I'm going with Jamar Chase as my number one wide receiver out of LSU. You know, like you said, his uh, 2019 season was just ridiculous in terms of what he was able to do with Joe Burrow there at LSU that season. Uh, to me, he's probably the most physically dominating wide receiver in this class, just uh, maybe not the most electric in terms of speed or explosiveness, but, you know, good route runner very good hands, large catch radius, plays physical at the line of scrimmage. Uh, and everyone cites how he isn't like the greatest separator. I, I disagree with that. I think he's a good separator at the top of his route. Yeah, he's not the most, um, as a, doesn't have the most electric speed in the world, but just all around, to me, he's the best all around wide receiver in this class. And if I'm going to put my money on anyone being a true number one wide receiver out of this class, it's Jamar Chase. Uh, number two for me, uh, Jalen Waddell. Out of Alabama, to me, he's the most explosive playmaker in this entire class. Uh, just brings so much to the table. You know, I saw an interesting stat. Apparently, for his entire career at Alabama, he averaged 
over nine yards after the catch per reception in his entire Alabama career, which is just ridiculous. It just shows that not only does he have the speed and explosiveness to beat you over the top, but if you get him the ball short, he is capable of making a play and taking it to the house any anytime you give him the ball uh, with room to run. So he is just a fantastic playmaker. I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if he goes number one among the wide receivers in this draft just because his speed and explosiveness and big playability is just so rare and hard to find. He is probably the closest thing to Tyreek Hill you're going to find in this draft class. So uh, Jalen Wild, just a ridiculous playmaker at all three levels of the defense there. Uh, number three for me, Devontae Smith of Alabama, his, his teammate. Uh, Devontae Smith, really the only question mark is how can he hold up with his weight? That's really about it because, you know, guys with his physical profile, it is tougher when translating to the NFL, but you look at the way he just plays on the field. He's got good speed. He's got good quickness. He's a great route runner. He catches everything. He's tough. Uh, you can line him up all over the place. He's polished, uh, working offline of scrimmage. Just a lot to like about Devonte Smith. He's a guy that I think can contribute right away. He's got a high upside. Again, that weight is something that kind of worries me from a durability uh, standpoint. But he, he didn't have any durability issues at Alabama, so I can't really say that's something that is a huge red flag for me. So Devontae Smith, he's my number three. Uh, probably like a mid-first round, early first round talent for me at the wide receiver position. And then my last first round wide receiver in this class at number four is Rashad Bateman on Minnesota. Uh, I compare him to Keenan Allen and Allen Robinson, kind of a mix between those two wide receivers there. Not the most explosive athlete, not the biggest wide receiver in the world, but very polished route runner good hands, solid playmaking ability after the catch, just knows how to get open, knows how to make tough catches. Uh, just a lot to like about Rashad Bateman. Maybe doesn't have the explosiveness to where he can be an elite dynamic weapon at the next level, but I'm confident in him being a number one wide receiver to maybe high end number two uh, at the next level. I think he could, he's a guy that's going to be ready to perform uh, right away in any offense you put him in. And the number five for me, I, I was considering uh, putting Rondale Moore here, but what ended up winning out with me for my number five guy was uh, who is going to be Terrace Marshall here on LSU is that Rondell Moore, the difference between him and a guy like Terrace Marshall is that Marshall has that size, athletic profile, physicality profile to where I think that projects better to the NFL in terms of being a true number one wide receiver. Now Marshall has a ways to go. He's a guy that's going to be a little bit raw coming out. Um, so it may take him a year or two to really get going here in the NFL Whereas Rondale Moore, he's such an explosive playmaker that even if he's not the most polished wide receiver coming out, you know that he's going to be a guy that can just go out there and make things happen with the ball in his hands just because he's such a dynamic athlete and, and runner with the ball in his hands. So uh, a little bit of a different skill set there. But Marshall, I think he has the traits that kind of translate well in the right offense, the right development plan to be a true number one wide receiver. Now, I don't have him as a first-round talent. I think he's a borderline, like, early second-round talent for me. But all the traits are there. It's just a matter of whether he can develop and put it all together. Marshall is very interesting to me because while we're at the LSU Pro Day just attending it virtually, he kind of mentioned how he's like, hey, listen, my biggest – that I have is versatility just in the sense that you can put me inside you can put me outside when I'm on the line of scrimmage I'm looking at what the cornerbacks are doing if I'm on the outside I'm going to read the cornerbacks leverage but if I'm on the inside 
then I'm going to go ahead and look at the safety. So I think another thing to keep in mind with Marshall is that, yeah, he's versatile. He's versatile, right? But he's also just a very smart player in general. And yeah, in other draft classes, he might be considered to be a first-round pick. But kind of like you mentioned, I think that just because of how deep this draft class is, he's going to slip to the second round, but still be a really productive player at the next level. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a team maybe trade up late to the first round to get him as well, just because there is a lot of upside there to work with. It's just a matter of where he goes, because I, I think he does need some time to develop here. Um, and that could be something that really helps him in the future, because he, he's not on the level of a Bateman, Smith, Waddle. He just isn't on the level of those guys. These guys, when I look at my top four, for me personally, these guys are ready to perform day one in the NFL and are going to be contributors at a high level for you in your offense. At least that's what I'm assuming and projecting projecting them to be at this point. I don't see that with Marshall. Again, I think the upside is there for him to get there. It's just a matter of when that happens. Um, but I, I found you putting uh, Rondell Moore at four over Bateman. Interesting. You know, what are some of the things that you're seeing in Moore's game that kind of puts you over put him over Bateman because uh, more when I watch him play, um, you know, some of the things that are interesting about him is, you know, he's a true slot weapon there at Purdue. Um, but you look at, he had a very limited route tree at Purdue. So uh, even though he's great with the ball in his hands, that could be something that kind of worries me a little bit when he goes to the NFL, but are, are you just valuing that playmaking and just ability to just do a ton of different things that, uh, that Rondell, Mayor, Rondell Moore can do? Yeah, it's really the playmaking ability that sticks out for me. And I believe that Moore was another one of those guys who had opted out of the 2020 season. When I look at him, and he declared very early for the NFL draft, by the way, sometime in the fall. When I look at him, I realize, like, there's a pretty high ceiling there to work with, right? Because you look at him, I mean, I like the route running that he has. And then just in terms of other things that you bring to his skill set, right? I think he's a really good athlete despite the fact that he has had some durability issues in the past. And so ultimately for me, I think if you're gambling on a guy like Rondo Moore, right, you're gambling on the fact that you could technically consider him to be like a Swiss Army knife because you can place him kind of all over the field. So you're valuing the versatility that he's going to bring to the table, right? That's the reason I really like what Rondo Moore is a prospect. Yeah, you know, to go on to another you know, player with the last name Moore, Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss is another guy, too, that I, I almost consider my number five spot as well. Uh, kind of similar to Rondell Moore in that, you know, slot weapon, uh, dynamic receiver out of the slot, but very different in terms of their play style. So Moore is a – Elijah Moore is a lot more of a vertical threat than Rondell Moore. Rondell Moore is more of a horizontal threat, as I, as I like to describe it. You know, slants, you know – uh, RPOs, crossing routes, um, stuff, you know, jet sweeps and, cr and crossers behind the backfield there to get handoffs and stuff like that. That's where Rondell Moore is at his best. Elijah Moore is more of a vertical threat in the slot. So, you know, it's really tough to put together this top five here because there are so many dynamic wide receivers in this draft class that can kind of get a little bit crowded there at the top here. But, you know, I think the four that definitely do stand out here, and obviously you have Rondell Moore ahead of them, but uh, Chase, Wild, Smith, and Bateman. I think those are the four that I'm most confident in going in the first round. It'll be interesting to see where these guys go, though, because I can see Chase and Waddle definitely are going to be going top 10, I believe, at least in my opinion. I just think their value is too 
uh, high to pass up on. Smith is inter- interesting, though, because I wonder how teams are going to value the size aspect of things and whether that's something that it kind of gets in the way for them. Because if they value that a little bit in terms of just devaluing what he brings to the table, I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if we see him fall a little bit. And that might put him in the range of where the Bears, if they're sitting there at 20, they might have to say that, you know what, Devontae Smith's there for us. Maybe we take a chance on him. Yeah, I think when you look at that top 10 in the first round of the draft, right, here's what we know. So we know that your top picks are going to be quarterback, kind of like we've already established. But then you look at it and you realize, like, okay, so you have Cincinnati sitting there at five, all right? They could go ahead and they could take a wide receiver because they have a young quarterback. You have Miami at six. Well, they could go with a wide receiver because they have a young quarterback. The Lions are kind of invested into Jared Goff for the next couple of years. And they just lost Kenny Galladay. Then you have Carolina at eighth overall. Okay, they just traded for Sam Darnold, so I'm not really sure if they're going to go ahead and even draft the quarterback. I would not expect them to. So they could be wide receivers. I think that we will see probably three wide receivers go in the top 15 because when you do get out of that top 10, you have a team like the Giants or the Philadelphia Eagles, for example. Okay, the New England Patriots are another example. These are teams that, yeah, they don't have like significant needs at the wide receiver position, but then at that point, just with the way that the board is falling, you realize that they could go ahead and just decide, let's pull the trigger on best player available. And that could be a guy like, Devontae Smith and I think regarding Devontae Smith I don't think he makes it past 20th overall I think he is going to be a top 20 draft pick now to be clear that for our listeners that's not me saying that the Bears are going to end up with Devontae Smith I think that for Chicago right now considering the fact that you brought back Allen Robinson and you have Darnell Mooney yeah you have some questions at the wide receiver position but ultimately with far bigger needs for the Bears, and we'll get into this later in the show too, I just don't see them selecting a wide receiver in the first round, unless a significant prospect drops, which I think that ultimately, like I said a moment ago, Devontae Smith's going to be too good to like fall to the Bears at 20. That's just my gut feeling. Yeah, the only wide receiver that I could see being available to the Bears would be Bateman um, that they would consider. But Bateman, I feel like, he's kind of repetitive with what you get out of Allen Robinson. If, you're, if your plan is, as, as the Bears, is to extend Allen Robinson long-term, which you know, we don't know how that situation is going to handle, so maybe they draft Bateman to be a long-term replacement. But I would imagine that they would want someone with a little bit more speed, a little bit more juice for this offense, because Bateman, you know, he's a really good all-around player. He just doesn't have that speed or juice, I think, that they're looking for. It seems like when you look at some of the guys that the Bears have met with, and they have met with Rondell Moore, in the pre-draft process, I believe. Um, it, it seems like they're looking for, you know, more speedy, quick guys that can, you know, play in the slot and threaten defenses vertically. And Bateman, you know, he brings a lot to the table. He just doesn't bring that aspect of things, at least in my opinion. Yeah, and that's the thing with, as we kind of get past these top four, then after that, it's basically like a toss-up because you do realize that, there's other positional positional groups in this draft class. You have offensive tackle, for example, that are just so deep or even cornerback. And so I think it's entirely possible that some of the guys in our top five, like Rondo Moore or even Rashad Bateman, you could even make an argument for them possibly slipping out of the first round or just not going to be drafted in the first round where a lot were projected because then you kind of get into the back half of the first round. And you have a team like Jacksonville, who, again, we know they're going to be taking Trevor Lawrence at one overall, but they also pick at 25th overall. 
they could use that second first round pick to grab a wide receiver. You look at the Baltimore Ravens. What have they been trying to do over the last couple of years is go ahead and help Lamar Jackson, the quarterback, develop as a passer so they could get, grab a top tier option at wide receiver. Green Bay is another team that I think would make great sense and be a great fit for Rondo Moore or Rashad Bateman, as would a team like the Buffalo Bills. And then at 31st overall, you have the Kansas City Chiefs. And we know that Andy Reid and Brett Veach, they've established his mindset of, well, you can never have too many playmakers. And so ultimately, it's just like when you look at the top, just the first round in general, the top 10 is kind of loaded with teams that need wide receivers. The middle of the first round is kind of where it dies down. And then the back half of the first round is really where it picks up again. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out because the first, second round, that's where we're going to see. That's really going to be where we see how these teams value wide receiver and whether they think they can get these guys later. Because if they're, if we're seeing wide receivers drop down draft boards a little bit here and they start falling into the late second, maybe third round, that means that like a lot of these teams see that they feel like the difference between these guys at the top and the guys in the third, fourth, fifth round really isn't that much. And I think that's a good way to transition to our sleepers here. And we're going to do something a little bit different here with our sleepers. Instead of doing just one guy, we're going to be doing two. So I'm start with you. You said who is one of your sleepers and then we'll kind of go back and forth here. So who's, who's your first sleeper here um, in this draft class? It's all, it's, Austin Watkins from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. And he's a guy that's about six foot one, six foot two, lifted right around 200 pounds, got pretty good ball skills. What I like about him is there's this just combination of size and speed that really sticks out. And so he averaged about 17 yards for reception in college, right? Which just feeds into his size and speed because for a guy his size, he moves really well all over the field. Now, my big question regarding Austin Watkins is this is does he have what it takes to develop into a legitimate big play threat at the next level where he is one of the featured options in an offense? And I do think right now Watkins is going to be a sleeper that some team is going to get a steal come day three of the draft. Yeah, Watkins is uh, very intriguing, I think, just because you have such a tall receiver that can make plays down the field vertically. It's something that I think a lot of offenses, especially the Bears, are going to want to find in some of these players here. Uh, for my first sleeper here, I'm going to go with a guy who was down at the Senior Bowl. I think both these guys actually were down at the Senior Bowl as, as well. Um, and that's for me is uh, Dwayne Eskridge out of Western Michigan. So Eskridge is a fascinating player. I, I was able to speak with him at his pro day um, for Western Michigan. Um, he mentioned that he actually he's met with the Bears, I think, entire offensive coaching staff and had a conversation with them in a meeting he also mentioned you know without even getting uh having them brought up in the question he mentioned the bears like specifically as an offense that he feels like he's a great fit for in that offense he want to play in so obviously he's excited about what the bears have told him about how they would see him fitting in their offense depending on if they draft him or not so that's interesting to keep in mind there but Eskridge looking at him as a player i mean the first thing that, that really pops out to me is his speed and explosiveness and quickness on the field. This guy uh, is just an absolute playmaker when you give him the ball in space, and he has the ability to make plays at all three levels. He's kind of like, I wouldn't say a poor man's uh, Jalen Waddle, but I, I guess you could kind of say that. He's kind of like a poor man's Jalen Waddle in this class. You know, he's got a lot of ability with his speed and explosiveness there, and he's a very polished route runner too. He's not just a speed guy. 
he's got great refined route running ability. And we saw that in the senior bowl, no one could cover him in the one-on-one drills, no one. So he really has a lot to like about his game. You know, personally, I would say he's a obvious top 10 wide receiver in this draft class. Maybe even, I would even just, you know, put him in the discussion, put him into my top five potentially. But there are two things that kind of uh, slow me down a little bit on that for one. Obviously, Western Michigan's a smaller level of competition, and I think he only had one year of real production at Western Michigan. So you're kind of worried about that. You know, does he can't was he able to kind of maintain that? Why wasn't he able to maintain that success throughout his college career? Why is he a late bloomer here? That's something to take into account there. And the second thing is his age. I think he's going to be 23 or 24 uh, by the time that he's drafted and playing in the NFL. So Eskridge, a bit of an older prospect. So that means that there's less value in terms of if he gets to his second contract, he's already an older player. So, uh, you know, what's the value of him on his second contract? There's it's, a, it's really down the road, but that's some of the, some of the things that you have to think about here with some of these guys, but on just pure ability and what I saw on tape from him, uh, he is a bona fide second round talent for me, but he probably will be going in the third round just because of some of the other factors I mentioned. I think you could be an absolute steal though, because Eskridge, he has speed, he has explosiveness, he has refined route running ability. It's just a matter of going to the right system. And I would personally love to see him in the Bears offense because uh, they emphasize a lot of that spread coast uh, concepts that we see in Kansas City, and he would be a perfect fit for that. You mentioned the speed, the route running. I think that those are two things that really stick out about Dwayne Eskridge. And then you're right regarding potential fits. I think that teams that do run – this kind of Andy Reid, West Coast style offense, you add some elements of the spread offense in there. Those are the ones that are going to be the perfect fit for Eskridge. And I think that despite the fact that Eskridge kind of went to a smaller school, I think that you're kind of right. He's not being talked about enough because this wide receiver class is so loaded. And he really, for the competition he played against, because he was at Western Michigan for five seasons. I mean, he averaged about 19 yards per reception. So I think that at the next level, you are going to see Eskridge be a player that is going to develop into a big play threat very quickly. Yeah, absolutely. That would be the hope here for uh, Eskridge if you would be drafted by the Bears. He mentioned the Bears and Chiefs. Remember, he he mentioned the Bears and Chiefs specifically as offenses that he'd like to be part of in terms of being a good fit for him. So obviously he's had a conversation with both of those uh, coaching staff. I don't think it's a coincidence there that he's he's mentioned those two offenses as offenses that he would want to be a part of. Uh, so moving on to your second sleeper, who's the second guy you're looking at for um, in this draft class? My second sleeper at the wide receiver position for this draft class is Sky Smith from South Carolina. I know it's a guy that not a lot of fans seem to be talking about just because we've established the level of talent that's in this class all across the board. Sky Smith's interesting because he is, to me, an excellent route runner, all right, a speedster as well. He's a bit undersized because he's only 5'10", 186, but I think that he has everything that it takes to be a really good slot receiver at the next level, all right? I do think that one area where Smith needs to be better would just be his ball skills, all right? Can he add some extra strength there to kind of help him catch the ball more efficiently, catch it through traffic? If he's able to do that, especially in his first off season and then kind of taking the step into his second off season in the NFL in 2022. 
I think that he's going to be a player that's just very productive for a very long time. And he'd be another guy that I would argue would really fit into like Chicago's offense or Kansas City's offense. Yeah, Smith is an interesting player just because of the fact that he's probably more of a slot receiver in the NFL. But uh, he mentioned to me at his pro day that he sees himself playing on the outside as well. So uh, he, he played very well at the senior bowl. We showed out there as well. So uh, he's another, he, he kind of fits a similar mold, I think, as Eskridge as well. It's kind of like a slot explosive player there that can get yards after the catch in a short game, but also uh, challenge defenses vertically a little bit. So Smith, he's a, he's a very intriguing player to kind of keep in mind there. And as well as my next guy here, and that's Jalen Darden of North Texas. He's my second sleeper to keep an eye on. I see him as more of a third, fourth round player in this draft, probably more third round uh, is where I would be comfortable taking him. Uh, Darden, uh, really fun to watch. If you can ever, if you ever, ever have the chance to watch his tape or watch his highlights on YouTube, I mean, he, he might be the quickest wide receiver in this draft class. And you look at his agility scores um, from his pro day. I mean, they're elite stuff right there from what you're talking about. Um, just a lot of great start, stop, start quickness. A uh, very agile player, and that really translates, I think, even though he's not the most polished route runner as of yet, it translates to his route running because he can fake guys out on his routes, give him space. He's going to eat that cushion up with his speed, make a quick move, and he's going to be open. So uh, Darda, there's a lot of potential, even though he's unrefined with his route running, um, to where you think you can get a lot out of him at the next level. And he's got 4-4 speed, so he has the ability to take the top off of defenses as well. And you look at his stats – at North Texas his entire career, just absolute dominant, broke records down there. Again, it's a very small school, so how is he going to translate to the next level? And he's an undersized guy. We talked about some of these other guys being undersized. He's five foot nine, 174 pounds. So Jalen Darden, he is on the smaller side for these wide receivers. But we saw, you know, last year with Darnell Mooney that maybe that really doesn't really matter, especially in this offense where you're getting these guys on the move a little bit before the snap. That can actually help him out a little bit here. So Darden, I like his ability after the catch. I think he's got a ton of big play uh, potential here, especially in this offense. And yeah, he's got a similar physical profile as Darnell Mooney, but why not have guys that can do similar? Why not have redundancy at that skill player position there? Because you can never have too much speed. You can never have too many guys that can get yards for themselves after the catch. Uh, Darden has a lot of that ability similar to Darnell Mooney. I don't think he's as good of a deep threat as Mooney, but I think he's a little bit quicker and a little bit better after the catch to Mooney. So um, it, it would be, I would be, be very intrigued to see those two kind of mesh together in Chicago's offense because they could be a very dangerous duo in terms of being that playmaking element for this offense. You mentioned Darden's measurables regarding, yeah, he is a bit smaller, but I think really for a lot of these smaller guys, it just seems to be a theme that kind of consistent across the board because we talked guys like Shai Smith and um, Dwayne Eskridge as well. But I really think that ultimately when you look at some of these smaller guys, like where they really make up for it is that they are like scrappy players, right? Some of them just like to play bigger than the size that they're listed at, all right? Some of them are just really explosive or really good route runners. I think that Jalen Darden's another guy, right, that will end up being a pretty dynamic playmaker at the next level all right yeah he's smaller so some teams may view him as just being a complimentary piece but the other aspects of his game that you look at his ability to just stretch a defense all right his ability to kind of continue to fight through some yards even after he's been hit gain some extra yards right play through contact those are the things that really tend 
to stick out when it, you're watching Jalen Darden on tape? Yeah, absolutely. I think the one thing that he has to work on is playing through traffic in terms of you know, like contested catches and uh, making those tough catches there. So if he can work on that, I, I think, and, you know, and add some weight to his frame, obviously, I think he could have a long successful career in the NFL and in the right scheme. It wouldn't surprise me if we're talking about him as a breakout star at the next level, depending on where he goes, because I think he has that type of athletic ability situations can be huge for him though, in terms of where he ends up. Um, so we're going to transition now to our overhyped guys. You're talking about some guys that, you know, we went over some guys that we think will really impress in the, in the draft, you know, compared to their draft slot. Who do you think is somebody that could get overdrafted here though, based off of where you had them graded out? I think Florida's Kadarius Tony is probably the most overhyped or one of the most overhyped prospects in this year's draft. Because ultimately, when you look at Kadarius Tony, you realize that he was at Florida for a couple of years. A lot of people know him as this super electric playmaker, really a guy that is going to take off at the next level. He has the speed to play at the NFL level, but then ultimately when we look at Tony, he's limited in certain ways because one of the big aspects for wide receivers, one of the big things that they have to be able to do is be really good route runners. Kadarius Tony is still run, still figuring out how to run routes. When we were at Florida's Pro Day, head coach Dan Mullen mentioned how, hey, listen, Tony's biggest trait is his versatility because you can kind of place him all over the field. You can line him up wherever. But then at the same time, he's still learning how to play the wide receiver position. He's still learning to be a true wide receiver. Ultimately, with Tony, yeah, he brings a lot of things to the table to like, but then at the end of the day, you realize that compared to some of the other guys in this class, whether they are the top five that we just mentioned or some of the guys that went through smaller schools, the reality of the situation is that Tony's far behind where he needs to be. Yeah, Tony's very fascinating because while he is an absolute like outlier in terms of his quickness and shiftiness after the catch, you know, he, he's just, he's made out of rubber, it seems like at times. He's got a very rare, special physical traits to him. Um, and you can tell when he's running routes or when he gets the ball up to the catch, he's making guys miss. I mean, he's very fun to watch in that aspect of things. But <clears throat> the thing that worries me a little bit about Tony is, honestly, I, I think his speed is a little bit overrated. You know, when I watch him play, I feel like there's too many times where, yeah, he's making guys miss, but we're seeing guys easily run you know, and, and get, get him from behind and instead of him breaking away and, and uh, you know, scoring these touchdowns, getting these long runs. You know, he's not a guy that really runs away from people. He's a guy that is really shifting and will make guys mix and will get extra yards after the catch because of that. Um, but if you're expecting him to be a breakout speed guy or a vertical threat, that isn't quite his game. So it, it depends on like what your expectations and what you think his role is going to be in your offense. But Tony, he's, he's very fascinating because I've seen a lot of people mock him to the Bears or, you know, mock him in the first round as well. I don't think so. I think he's definitely a second-round type of guy. He's kind of similar in many ways to kind of like a Randall Cobb I've seen uh, some comparisons to. Just a very good playmaker on the slot, very quick, uh, very shifty, but maybe not the most explosive athlete in the world. So I think that could be a very good comparison to Tony. But, yeah, I think anyone picking him in the first round, that would be a little bit too high uh, for my taste. Um, kind of going off of a similar player um, 
in the standpoint of kind of an unders, undersized slot guy um, that could be getting a little bit too much hype here. How about Tutu Atwell for my overhyped player? So Tutu Atwell out of Louisville. Very interesting player as a guy that, you know, we talk about Jalen Darden maybe being an undersized player at the next level. Uh, Shai Smith being an under, undersized player. Well, Tutu Atwell takes that to a far different degree because uh, he's five foot nine, 155 pounds, I think was what he was listed at at his pro day. And that's just, that is extremely tiny for a NFL wide receiver. Like you don't, I, I get like, you know, not wanting to put guys into boxes because of physical profiles, because we've seen that there are outliers that exist and that some of these guys do work, but Man, at, at that size, you look at the list of players that have come out of the NFL, NFL drafts out of college with that size profile uh, and have worked out in the NFL. It's a very, very small list, you know, if any. Uh, maybe J.J. Nelson out of the Cardinals. Um, he had a couple of years where he was pretty decent, but even then he didn't last very long in the NFL um, in terms of being a productive player. So, And the thing is, we look at some of those other guys, those guys are a lot more explosive in terms of their testing-wise than what Tutu Atwell run his 40. Um, so at his pro day, Tutu Atwell, I don't think, I think his pro day 40-yard dash was like 4.4 seconds, I believe. So it wasn't as fast as you want to see. If you're going to be that small, you got to be like 4.2, 4.3 type of speed, especially in this year's offseason where it seems like everybody's running a 4.3, 4.0 at these pro days. You want to see Tutu Atwell be in that 4.3, 4.2 range, and he just wasn't. So that is a worrisome trend for me because if you're going to be that small, you have to make up for it with speed and it just doesn't show up as much on tape as I think you want to see that. And I've seen, seen a lot of NFL people mock him as like a top 50 player in this class. And I think you're crazy if you're taking him the top 50 picks, because there's no way I see his size working out the next level, unless he had special speed and, and quickness. He just, in my opinion, he doesn't have it. He's got good speed and quickness, but it's not at the level where he needs it to be in order to make up for size deficiencies. Yeah, Atwell's size, like you alluded to, and I'll back you up on this, it's just such a major concern because ultimately you look at it and the biggest question that you have when you look at his size is how is he going to hold up at the next level, not just for two or three years, but really in the long run. Now, with that said, okay, he was kind of a big play threat for Louisville, over the last couple of years, but ultimately you look at that and you realize like, we're not talking about Tutu Atwell more, one, because of the frame and the size, he's just super skinny, but then also you realize that the poor frame just seems to affect every other aspect of this game because his play strength is just really below average. You can't really trust him to be a guy that's going to go ahead and at the next level start to create some real separation or be fighting through contested catches. I think Tutu Atwell is going to have a much tougher time against bigger defensive backs. Ultimately, Atwell, I think right now, some people, like you said, haven't mentioned as a top 50 guy. I would even argue that because of the size, there's a very legitimate chance that we see him falling all the way to day three and probably even the undrafted three agent pool. Yeah, I think you know, fifth, sixth round is probably a good spot maybe to, to take a chance on him because, yeah, he does have some playmaking ability uh, where it could make sense there. But I think if you're – I've seen a lot of mocks see him as like a fourth, third-round player, and I think that's a little bit too high for him, especially if you're, if you're one of those people that has him as a, as a top 50 player. That's, that's way too, risk, too much risk for me. 
to take a chance on it. I'm all for taking, you know, a little bit of a gamble there on some of these, you know, athletic playmakers here in the draft. I have no problem with that usually, but I mean, at that size, you have to take into, into consideration there. It, it could be a problem. All right, let's move on to our final topic here. And that's what the Bears strategy is going to be in this draft. You kind of mentioned it here a little bit that it might be unlikely that they take a, a wide receiver in the first round. But I do think you say that wide receiver has to be a point of emphasis in this draft for the Chicago Bears here. And, we, and you look at things from a long-term, you know, short-term and long-term perspective. In the short term, you look at it here, you have Al Robinson here on the franchise tag for one more year. So you have a legitimate number one wide receiver here, short term, right? For one more year, at least. Uh, Darnell Mooney, I think he's a capable number two. At the very least, you're looking at it as a third option, as a legitimate deep threat for your offense, as a, you know, a, a true explosive playmaker for your offense. He's definitely someone that you can build around, at least as part of your core on the offensive side of the ball because of his speed. Because of his playmaking ability after the catch, there's a lot to like with Darnell Mooney, I think. He had a great rookie season. It's just a matter of can he stay healthy at his size, really, is the main important thing here. But then look at the rest of this roster here. Anthony Miller, he's been in conversations all offseason about being traded, potentially. It's pretty clear that the Bears have really little intentions of keeping him uh, this season. They, it, ideally, they want to trade him to get some value off of him, but they don't see him not only as a long-term piece, but even as a short-term piece at this point is what it seems like to me. I know he's on the roster, but they're probably waiting until after the draft to keep him on the roster before maybe cutting him outright just because they want to make sure that they draft someone first. So I wouldn't put Anthony Miller as part of their short-term or long-term plans. And then look at here, Riley Ridley, you know, drafted in the fourth round in 2019, I believe, but hasn't done anything in the NFL. Now, I'm still... I'm a big Riley Ridley fan. I think uh, with the right opportunity, he could be pretty good as a like third or fourth option in the passing game. He just hasn't had that opportunity yet. And I don't know why, because whenever he's on the field, he looks pretty solid. So I'm kind of curious why that's the case still um, going into his third season. But yeah, I like Riley Ridley a lot, but you can't rely on him as a you know part of your offense going forward. And then you got Javon Wims here, you know, whatever. You know, he's fine as a bottom of the roster guy, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, if anything, I would want to find a replacement for him to upgrade from him because he showed last year, especially in the playoff game against the Saints, that he's just not a reliable weapon in the passing game. So um, that's really the extent of your wide receiver room right there. And then long-term, you look at after that, though, this is where things get interesting here. The only two wide receivers under contract for the Bears in 2022, Darnell Mooney, and Riley Ridley, who will be in his last year of his rookie deal. So I'm, they're just the cupboards bare on the roster long-term here. So you have to get some more young talent on this roster, I think. And so wide receiver, it has to be a point of emphasis in this draft if you're the Bears. Needs to be a point of emphasis, but the question is going to be is how high of a priority is it for the Bears? Because you bring Allen Robinson back, and the Bears still have about three months to figure out a long-term deal with Allen Robinson before he's playing the 2021 season on the franchise tag. Darnell Mooney has about three years left here. Anthony Miller's going into a contract here. Javon Wins is going into the last year of his rookie deal. And then Riley Ridley, you mentioned, hasn't done much. Now, Ridley's a player that could develop into a pretty solid number three guy. He's not the fastest guy on the field, but he's a good route runner. He loves to come down with 50-50 balls. So Ridley's a valuable piece 
in that aspect. But ultimately, the Bears have just not given Ridley enough chances to really showcase what he can do because it just seemed like every other game in 2020, Riley Ridley was inactive. Now, I think ultimately when it comes to figuring out wide receivers through the draft, here's what you have to do. You're probably not going to draft one within the first two rounds unless someone significantly falls. But then you have that third round pick. Look at who you could draft in the third round and add a wide receiver there because there's Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney, but the Bears need a third guy. And last offseason, the conversation was, hey, could Anthony Miller be that third guy? Could Anthony Miller finally break out and realize this is all the potential that he has? Anthony Miller hasn't done that so far. So the Bears are investing in wide receiver at some point in 2021 during the draft. It's just going to be a matter of where do they pull the plug? And I think that to pull the plug on a wide receiver within the first two rounds would be more so of a luxury pick than it would be filling an actual need or kind of drafting a player because you have a positional need to fill. I think what Chicago is going to do is add some of these mid-round guys that we talked about. And the fact that the Bears have done their homework on Dwayne Eskridge really kind of tells me that if Eskridge is on the board in like the fourth round, for example, and the Bears don't have a fourth round pick in 2021, by the way, because they traded it to the Minnesota Vikings in 2020 to move up in the 2020 draft and draft Travis Gibson. What will happen is Chicago and Ryan Pace, they're going to find a way to get back into the fourth round and get a guy like Eskridge. Yeah, I think personally the third round is a sweet spot here for the Bears drafting wide receiver. Because you look at some of the wide receivers that will probably be available here. Um, just a list of names here. We talked about Dwayne Eskridge. He's probably my favorite third-round prospect just for the Bears specifically. Uh, Jalen Darden, I think he's a good fit for what they want to do as well. And then some of the other guys that we did not mention here, Amari Rodgers out of Clemson. I think he's perfect as a – if you want a reliable slot wide receiver, he's the guy in this class. He's very reliable from that aspect of things. Uh, Tyler Wallace out of Oklahoma State, he's another guy that uh, could be a very solid outside wide receiver, could be a very nice complimentary number two guy. He could be available in the third round as well. Um, he, had a, he had a really nice senior bowl, uh, speaking of him. And, you know, Diami Brown out of North Carolina, he's another guy to keep an eye on as a deep threat. So uh, third round to me is a sweet spot if you want to address wide receiver, but they could also double dip at the position as well. I wouldn't be opposed to that because – I think not only do they need a slot guy to replace Anthony Miller um, and his role in the offense, but I would like to see a replacement for uh, Javon Williams or at least some competition um, for that outside wide receiver, you know, blocking type of guy um, that they seem to value for some reason as, you know, that wide receiver four position. Um, and some of the guys that are going to be available late, you look at some of these guys, some of these bigger uh, perimeter wide receivers, you know, Josh Emader Bebe out of Illinois he's kind of the guy I'm looking at like the sixth round that could be available um just a big explosive guy on the outside so there are some options in this draft class it's a very deep draft class for wide receivers so if you're the Bears and you want to double dip at the position just because you want to add more talent to that spot which I think would be a perfectly fine strategy to do a third round and then using one of those sixth round picks and maybe on a flyer could be an interesting strategy. I think I, I would definitely not oppose that because they do need some young talent here in terms of, you know, I want to be able if you can never have too many playmakers. And with the way the NFL works with, you know, trying to compare and contrast play styles, you need a variety of different skill sets in your wide receiver room to complement each other. So 
you can find a bunch of wide receivers in this draft class that have different skill sets here. The third round, I think, is a sweet spot to find that slot guy, that explosive guy in this draft class, but they can definitely get an outside guy later on day three, and that could be another, you know, addition to the offense as well that they could potentially add here. Yeah, so overall, I would just say that just the general theme when it comes to the Bears and adding a wide receiver this year is that there are going to be options for them on all three days because this is a draft class that has value, especially at the wide receiver position, all across the board. So the Bears aren't going to have to, like, sacrifice future assets to really have to go ahead or significant future assets to kind of trade up for a guy because they're afraid that some other team might jump in and snag that player. But overall, like, you kind of alluded to this, right? You have Darnell Mooney in 2022, and then you have Riley Ridley. and under contract and that's pretty much it so you're gonna have to use this draft to kind of add one or two more players because ultimately you're looking at the possibility of if Allen Robinson leaves next offseason wide receiver is going to be the biggest need that the Bears are going to have to address and I think that the Bears are better off adding a couple mid-round guys this year some guys that they believe can develop into solid weapons rather than just kicking the can down the road. Because again, you don't know what the 2022 draft class is going to look like. Yeah, this is a very talented class. You want to take advantage of it. That's all I'm saying here with the wide receiver group. And again, they need more weapons here. Because Andy Dalton, looking at him as a quarterback, he's not the type of guy that's going to elevate talent around him. He's a guy that needs weapons here. So if you can get a solid slate of weapons around Andy Dalton, that could work for a year. Or, you know, or two, depending on how they see him fitting in their long-term plans. So getting another wide receiver here, again, I think third round is the right perfect value, the kind of the sweet spot area to address this here. I think that would be a, a great strategy. You can address offensive tackle, maybe get a quarterback on day two with your you know first and second round picks there. That's fine. But wide receiver, third round, I think that's a sweet spot. And that's a spot where the Bears can get a really nice value addition to this offense. All right, so I think this is a good time to wrap up this episode. You said uh, make sure to follow the Picks for Pace podcast on Twitter, at Picks for Pace. You said where can they follow you on Twitter and find your work? So you can follow me on Twitter, at Usaid Koshal. That's also the handle for all my social media platforms. And check out my work on the Bear Report, guys. I just dropped an article on Monday discussing top five QB options for the Bears in the 2021 NFL draft. Yeah, but you can follow me at H.A. Freeman 25. You can find my work at the Bear Report as well. Keep an eye out in the next couple of days. I have a video project coming out on YouTube that I think is going to be fascinating for some Bears fans. Keep an eye out for that coming up in the next few days. Other than that, we have a lot to get through here before the draft. Uh, keep tuned with us, Bears fans, on the Picks for Pace podcast because we have a lot of stuff still coming out before the draft even comes out. So um, keep an eye out for that. We want to thank all of our listeners once again for tuning in on all podcasting platforms. Have a great week, everybody, and we'll be talking with you again soon. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.